Hello everyone. I'm ready to introduce my name. My name is Keshin Tenle from Kurukur Center, uh, Medford. I'm very really honored to today be host Kembo uh, here. I would like to introduce Professor Jenna Janso uh, from Harvard. Uh, thank you all for coming. So my name is Janet Gyatso and I'm a professor here of Buddhist studies at Harvard. And we're very happy to have the honor of having Kempo Sodarge uh, uh, speak here tonight. This is actually the second time that he visited Harvard. He was already here in uh, 2013, I believe. We just figured out it's been four years and it's really wonderful to see him again. He is from the eastern part of Tibet, so very close on the border with China. Of course, now part of China itself. And, uh, but uh, he was born in uh, Kham in 1962. And he was ordained as a monk in 1985. So that means at the age of 23. And uh, he was a student and be and at the monastery where he is at today, which is either called Serta or Larungar, which is an enormous, amazing monastery. It's a new monastery that was established by uh, Kempo Jigme Plunsok, who was an amazing teacher. He's now, unfortunately, passed away, but he established this very, very large monastery. Actually, I don't have the date when that was established, but I think it was something like the 1970s. Could you go to... Go to do you, oh, 1980s. Oh, we have some experts here. Um, so it's not a traditional, uh, it's, it hasn't been there for a very long time, but it became extremely popular and still is today. At this mo moment, the number of people living there ranges from 10,000 to 5,000, depending on the circumstances. And it's also especially amazing for the very large number of women who are there, nuns. So both monks and nuns are studying there. They have a very rigorous academic program. And Kempo Sodargye and Kempo, one other Kempo Tsutum Lodro, the two of them, and Kempo Tsutum Lodro also came here, some of you may remember, about three years ago. Uh, but both of them are the kind of joint uh, leaders of this entire monastic institution. So, and accomplishing amazing things in keeping Tibetan Buddhism alive at a very, very high level, both in terms of scholarship, but also in terms of uh, moral leadership of the community. As everyone knows, the Tibetan community, you know, has been under a, a, a great deal of pressure for a very long time, and the um, monastery uh, provides a lot of leadership for the lay people and leading certain movements in especially things that I'm especially impressed with, having to do with uh, care of animals and also trying to discourage uh, Tibetans from um, wearing a lot of animal skins and doing things of that sort in addition to the explicitly Dharma teachings. Kempo Sodargye is uh, extremely knowledgeable in Buddhist philosophy, and he has published. He he has trans. He has studied and published books on all kinds of topics in Buddhist philosophy, in Buddhist monasticism, 
in Buddhist logic and in Buddhist Tantra. And he has several books in English, and he has a very, very large uh, number of followers um, who are Chinese speakers, both inside China and, and in other parts of the world. He just told me that he recently gave a lecture in Hong Kong where he had 20,000 people coming to that lecture alone to hear him. So it's a great honor to have him tonight, and uh, so we look forward very much to his teachings. And they will be translated by Mr. Tenzin Gelek, who is an expert translator uh, who works at a Trace Foundation in New York City. So thank you, welcome. あの、だ。あ、てら。うん、だね。うん、た。うん、チャプターだな。あ、とこ、シルドンゴ。うん、タロンゴ。ハフ、ハフ。いや、ほら。おや、たんで、え、タロンディ、チャプターで so，嗯，学生个路，阿妈，嗯，找住所以当，他那点龙哥个，啊，我做，恰恰是学几个，恰是，呃，过去听着样子，呃，人当，人那样，啊，银行人样，就，呃，学生啊，是来用的马松的，
Яна ангайти хлопчот таронг саруучан гэнд тэний гэргэн чимүүхэн гэ хцууд лугун бамам жонныйгэр намтар гэн ханру ийши сургэр гэ тэний хтугжууд ясун гэнд дэйн ана омэгсэр гэд арим ханру ийши сургэр нэр гэма та вуэр гэ тэний чиг хтэбаа жан дадар гэм чадэйна мэндуд бжэн дэн та лэгэм жэрэан жонгу тэгсэн I remember vividly about the talk. Um, Professor Janet got to give a talk on the life of a country Ishitoke um, through the through the life circle of a Guru Rinpoche's Namtar Dokju. And uh, Professor Janet got to mention that the country Ishitoke had to do many things against her wish. And then after the lecture, there were discussion, and different students were providing the input and the feedback. One of the students said, I heard a similar story about a woman in Nepal. Um, another student said, I heard a similar story about an American woman in the United States, and because of that, she was really kind of moved and sad to hear on and on about the plight of a woman. That and then they had a conclusion, and uh, people agreed in that discussion. Although country uh, Ishizuki faced many challenges and problems, but it, was, it didn't overwhelm her. But in fact, the, all the challenges that she had gone through did not stop her from really continuing her studies, her Dharma practices. And she was able to overcome this really tremendous hardship, and it didn't let her kind of long-term uh, sad impact. And so Professor Janik has concluded that we can take from this uh, experience that regardless of all the hardship that the country she's like, went through, but she was able to transform this and able to kind of inspire in some ways, many others to continue their practices. Uh, and 
I had a really deep impact from participating in this discussion. And uh, I can sum up kind of the two major impact I had from participating in Professor Janikyatsu's uh, talk and uh, discussion. First of all, what really kind of uh, most touched me was I have been teacher, I've been teaching uh, for many years, but uh, at this kind of Janikyatsu's discussion, that uh, I'm amazed about this kind of level of the discussion between the professor and the student, between the professor's kind of the free atmosphere where, unlike in Tibetan setting, the teachers and the student have this equal, if you like, uh, opportunity and the equal treatment in terms of ex exchanging views. And uh, the teacher doesn't seem like preoccupying the entire discussion but giving kind of uh, many rooms for the student to come forward and share their view. And this really left me a great impact. And as a result, when I went back, I uh, talked to my colleagues and the students saying, in Harvard, they have this amazing approach in doing research and studying, and we really need to follow that. The teacher kind of occupy or preoccupy less time, and they encourage the student to come up with the discussions and the ideas. So we try to adopt that from that lecture at our center there. Tani shukchige na ngasu boyeri na ngaga tani chigu ta sachar jambari gitu ta lama dana tani chigu ngungum kibatsu namter tezi ta namter tela tongchong tezu shikuna ina ya tela tari jimjik sheni ina tani ta chigu lojung rantang chimbuzi yono nga tari tani kurtuk saras gitu. And the other impact I had was when we traditionally studying biographies of different lamas, we really do not pay that much of attention. But from your teaching style and approach to the discussion, I realized uh, you know, studying biography is really important. It has many aspects in it if we do it properly. And that kind of uh, gave me that new idea, how we should approach studying biographies. So today, uh, our topic or the subject is about uh, how we really deal with the challenges in modern time. Gatirapta 
this century is a very unique century because if we look back over a thousand years of human history, or um, in terms of our living standard in the past, is much lower. Um, the innovations and all this creation or the creativities are not as uh, much as uh, we experience these days. Uh, besides, the uh, scientific discovery is not as good as now, and as well as the kind of communications uh, among and uh, um, within the kind of uh, human society is not as close as we used to, as we have now. and then if we look at the uh, past few decades, we experienced this amazing um, transformation, the uh, great change uh, because of the scientific discovery and because of the change in education and so on. Um, we experienced this kind of uh, most rapid uh, social change. We're all going through that. Uh, as a result, the change also impact at education level, uh, how people live their kind of uh, regular life. The change also creates many opportunities, at the same time, many challenges too. These changes bring you know, fear, um, doubt, and people's kind of questioning people's basic confidence uh, due to this really rapid change. And this is what we go through now. Ah. Ngarang then um, I have been a monk since I was 23. Um, I spent most of my life in a monastery, um, studying and teaching. So I really had a limited exposure in terms of uh, um, ordinary life. But at the same time, in the past few years, um, I had opportunity to uh, visit many people, uh, had a you know, close communication 
with the kind of uh, communities. And uh, when I meet many people and talking to them, I realized that the change I just mentioned about the you know, uh, educational change, the scientific change, and so on, including this rapid economic development, of course, it brings more opportunities and improvement at a certain level. At the same time, it also brings the uh, same amount of anxieties and distress and so on. And this is, I think, experiencing both in the East as well as in the West. Um, there are you know, kind of uh, common challenges between the Eastern and the Western world. Uh, some of the kind of uh, challenges are very unique to Pacific regions. um, I actually feel that uh, um, if we really need to approach uh, to our inner peace, if we need to really understand and improve the quality of our spiritual life, um, there are many ways we can do that. We're going through uh, meditation, practicing uh, Tibetan or you know, practicing Tantra, uh, meditation on emptiness. There are many Buddhist approach in terms of how to reduce stress and deal with uh, um, challenges. And uh, I feel that using these kind of techniques and studying the nature of the mind uh, would be very useful in terms of really overcoming these fears and so on. ジャンダマンジャガズ、ミョンゴヨンジェ。で、ミョンジョウンド、チュ、トンチュミョンジェ、ウォンスムゴチャバジテ。で、ナ、タテランダネ、ゲルゴンダナ、ボマセナ、
how these you know, Eastern practitioners maintain really calm mind in kind of very terminal situation. And it will be very useful for you to really investigate how do they do that. Uh, by doing so, you really have to do research in Tibetan Buddhism. You have to research in terms of how they cultivate this kind of attitude, which really enables them to maintain calm and so on. So for you, it will be really useful to go there and investigate and study. <laughs> Zakan <laughs> so I feel one way of really overcoming these challenges in terms of the fear and so on, um, you really need to get out of your comfort zone. I've noticed and observed many people like to use the same thing, like going to the same restaurant, eating and ordering the same dish, uh, meeting the same people, playing around with the same idea. Um, but if you know, things are changing, and if we wanted to cultivate the level of you know, like a calm and overcome challenges to face change, what we need to do is we first need to get out of our comfort zone and really kind of experiment things, new things, uh, you know, new life way, and this will really be a good source of uh, testing your mental um, capacity, and this will really put yourself at a challenge. And this, I think, in the long term, would help you to really deal with the cha uh, changes and the challenges. <coughs> Tony when I um, observe the differences between East and the West, uh, maybe I will say difference between Chinese, Tibetan, or the American and the uh, UK and so on. Um, generally speaking, I think, uh, I feel that we all uh, almost like uh, experience the same thing. We all desire for happiness. We all uh, try to avoid the suffering. 
Um, there isn't that kind of great uh, differences in terms of what we want. But the um, differences I think I observed is mainly in a kind of cultural background. Um, the way we approach to things, you know, is different because of our gap in cultural background. Uh, Parchir um, one of the differences in terms of uh, uh, culture uh, I observed was uh, in the East, people just like to be obedient. They wanted to follow and they do not want to lead, if you like. Whereas in the West, there's uh, this very strong culture of uh, critical thinking and sometimes a little bit over critical how they, you know, like see things. Um, I observed an uh, uh, Eastern student. Uh, going to the West to study, when they come back, they become critical of everything. That's my <laughs> one of the observations. <laughs> ताते and because of that, um, I know many parents are now starting to really express concern in terms of sending their children to the West. In the past, it's like everyone's dream um, in Asia to send their children to a, a higher education institute in the West. But now, when they observe, when the kids coming back to uh, the East, they become very critical about uh, you know, traditional lifestyle, they're critical about, uh, you know, uh, Eastern religion and so on. The parents are now really showing concern about the Western education value. <laughs> And then for the Western parents, I know the, uh, some of the Western parents send their children to school in the East, in Asia. And so when they send their children to the East, uh, they also notice the children are changing their behavior 
you know, they're showing change in terms of how they communicate and relate to their immediate environment and so on. And some of this change, they're really welcomed uh, by their parents. <laughs> Then <laughs> Um, then the Western education, especially the American education, it become the almost like a root or the um, basis for many uh, Asian countries. Uh, they especially use American education as a model for uh, the education system in the East. Um, so I've uh, observed that they're importing a lot of the aspect of the Western education uh, to the Eastern education as well. You like uh, in the Western education, you uh, play a lot of important uh, discussion on animals and so on. And the Easterns are now really copying that too. Gartung, Ranluk, Stavan, the Yena, Shichuk, and Roam in Pajig, Tatan, the Ne, Matsu, the Runker Major, Tucker, Shapaton, you, Rihanda, Halibag, the Garchembo's own, Tata, the Neflotra Susona, the Ne, Tachi Girgin in Nandrag, the Ne, Zanga, Sudan Say in Nayara, of Gaba, to Genis of Ton, you and Dirtava, the Marangoni in Natarigate, Haliba, the Ne. Uh, among the Western education approach, uh, one of them I'm really most amazed was the critical thinking, or sometimes just like a critiquing everything. Um, of course, like the critical thinking brings a lot of benefit for social improvement and social development. Um, it's really important uh, for a kind of general part of the education but at the same time, this critical thinking and the critiquing, um, the attitude, also like uh, what I'm a little bit puzzled was they become very critical about their teachers. The student, you know, starting being very critical generally about the teachers. And these aspects are also, I'm, I'm a little bit puzzled. え、カフショダナ。てね、つ、ちくよな。てね、ザモナナタリシキンとギャチンボズテクヨレ。てんでた、てねたりがた、ちゅ、ロソンドが、ナバテジャンデンゲルゴナンゲルゲオマタ。イ
Um, so here, many of you are teachers, uh, researchers, and students. And uh, so I wanted to bring up this uh, subject about the critiquing or the critical thinking. Um, I think the critical thinking is a very powerful tool when it's followed by reasons, logics, and so on. Of course, it's very useful. I think what the critical thinking does to a certain student, especially some Asian student, is without relying on the reasons and the logics and truth and so on. And they merely use that a way of denying or criticizing your own kind of culture and so on. And this really brings kind of the destructive side of the critical thinking. Especially uh, these, I think, students or researchers, when they criticize the other's value, they do so without kind of being impartial without it being uh, grounded or while research, they merely kind of use that as a mean to attack other values. And that I found a little bit kind of disturbing. Da so for the uh, 20th century, um, I think uh, the education and especially the critical thinking is really important. We really need to pay attention how this impact other you know, cultures and so on. Um, one thing I observed that many, uh, or not many, uh, some Tibetan youngsters who read the Western literature by Chinese medium, many of them even don't read the original work, but they read the selective works that, that are translated into Chinese. And then they use this kind of limited information to really criticize um, their cultures and values without backing up with the reasons and logic. And that's I felt like one of the disadvantages of using this notion of critical thinking a very partial way. On top, there are advantages for critical thinking when you apply them properly. Um, one of the, I think, uh, immediate advantage of uh, using the critical thinking is, is related to the level of the creativity and innovative. And um, when you use the critical thinking properly, it also overcomes the, um, I think, uh, issues and uh, information that are not properly researched. And so using the critical thinking, it helps to the quality of the information. But of course, there are advantages for that. Yeah, 
呃,日本呢,呃,大家,呃,我做我就能等个大家个老中个,呃,家中,呃,也发生的新的原因呢,大家个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个个
um, so I've noticed that the thesis, um, in the thesis, there's a very famous particular verse written by Chankya when he was expressing his experience of the emptiness. And uh, I'm just uh, <laughs> phrase. Uh, um, Chankya was saying that uh, um, these days, many uh, young scholars, um, when they really uh, try to prove something by really neglecting the most important part of your, um, the, negate, the subject of the negation. And uh, basically, they're directing their research for the wrong reason and the wrong um, understanding. As a result, in the Changya said, mother, ama, is like almost now going to run away. So, um, so the person explained this literally. And he said, these days, many young people are killing animals, you know, abusing animals. Changi's mother saw that, and she was so shocked, and she, was, she escaped. So they literally translate, or they explain this word by word without really truly understanding what Changi is referring to. ตัวเจ้าทําชุดคีปียิมตงอันนี้ติแต่ก็ตาจูเรนตัวเจน่าตาติเอ่อรังเวอร์เนี่ยรู้เจนี่เราตรงกันตรงกันตาตงอันนี
without really truly realizing how this you know, appearance are formed, without really investigating the source of the appearances, this is the nature of the intrinsic nature and so on. They're so busy with really attacking the appearances without truly understanding how these appearances are formed. As a result, emptiness is becoming further from their mind stream. So that's what Changkia is referring to. He wasn't referring to animals at all or mother. So that's how people easily misunderstand the concept of the teaching, especially the researchers, without really properly understanding the subject. And therefore, what I wanted to say here is uh, when we engage in a research, we really need to know the subject well. We really have to become ourselves as expert on the subject. And unless if you really kind of do the research at a superficial level, it will bring you know, loss to all of us. And also, it will be such kind of a waste of time. Uh, Tata <laughs> and so, as we talk about the research, I'm really impressed with the Janagyatu's approach uh, to um, the uh, Tibetan studies. Um, she done uh, many years of research on Namtars. Um, she did uh, also research on Jingmilimba's uh, autobiography as well. And recently, I went to Chicago and uh, another researcher done wonderful research on the Serakanto, the Wiskanto. And this research, it seems more like a holistic approach and a more kind of a comprehensive. Um, so that's something I think we really need to uh, learn from Janet and these wonderful scholars. Um, I think it's a good idea that we engage in research on uh, general subjects such as uh, you know, the uh, Uma, the Tibetan uh, or the Uma, the Buddhist kind of uh, uh, study on views philosophical views, the logics, and uh, Vajrayana, the tantric. We can study them. That's no problem. Uh, Tugh Yam 
um, so when I uh, look at how we should approach on researching uh, Tibetan Buddhist teaching or the Buddhist teaching in general, I think uh, um, if you wanted to engage more holistically, um, you really need to study um, this subject. Um, when you engage in a research on a particular subject, you really first really hear the teaching itself. There are many commentaries. You really read the commentaries, study the commentary. And there, within the commentary, there are different levels of commentaries. You have the general kind of uh, commentaries, literal commentaries. Then you talk about the experiential commentaries, the murti. And to receive some of this experiential commentary instruction, you have to receive empowerment. Uh, you have to really agree to um, observe certain commitment. These are a kind of a prerequisite for going into a much deeper level of the study. And it would be really, I think, useful for the researchers to think about you know, studying them much more deeply, studying the commentaries, you know, hearing the instructions, the pithy instructions from the real teacher. And this will bring your research a much better quality. And unless um, if you just do at an artificial level, I think your result also would be a little bit artificial. That's you know, my view. Um, recently, I heard uh, while I'm uh, touring the United States, uh, some researchers uh, questioning about where should we keep Vajrayana as a secret teaching. We really need to reveal this, and this, we need to remove this secret from the coding. Because you know, the only way you can study it properly would be by removing this like, uh, secrecy. And I had really some doubt and a question over this uh, view. This is because uh, uh, engaging in this very kind of uh, authentic teaching, there are certain commitment, both from the researcher point of view as well as from the uh, other people, need to be observed. Because when you read at the end of the commentaries and these pithy instructions in Vajrayana teaching, the writers request confidential, you know, at the Samaya, you do not show these people who do not receive commitment. These are the requests from the authors, and that's what we have to observe. Um, keeping secrecy is like uh, um, important for even personal reasons. Uh, in the West, we do not share our salaries. You know, we do not, you know, easily tell how old we are. Um, there's a certain kind of uh, minimum um, privacy that we all strive for. Likewise, the Tibetan Buddhism, especially Vajrayana, need to have this minimum privacy too. And if we do not observe that and expose this to anyone, then it will bring more harm than benefit for a research result. Uh, Shirdunga, <laughs> 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 
even within the Tibetan Buddhist followers, there is a constant, uh, constant contradiction and a disagreement between the Tokewa, the debaters, or people who kind of only engage in debating, uh, versus people who are engaging in serious practices. So there's a kind of a disagreement between the debaters and the practitioners. Uh, the first one only kind of uh, interested in uh, critiquing others, um, really uh, try to um, critiquing others' interpretation, whereas the practitioners are more interested in the experience, the result, the realization. So this kind of uh, disagreement is also obvious within the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Uh, um, and in my view, um, when we engage uh, in the religious uh, research activities, we really need to understand the background of the religion or the subject itself well. And we also need to understand the system of that particular knowledge uh, through that tradition. And uh, when you understand the system, the background well, then naturally you will pay more respect to the subject. Um, I heard uh, among the Christian uh, or the scholars who are researching on Christianity, and they say the, one of the prerequisites of that research is the person at least to show respect to the creator or they accept the creator. And when you do that, then the person would show a genuine respect to the topic and the subject. And then they will engage in the research much more kind of holistically. And I'm asking the same thing uh, for the uh, Tibetan Dharma researchers or scholars. Um, among the Islamic studies, um, I think the Quran mentioned in the second and the ninth chapter that um, people who are critiquing or criticizing uh, the Quran or the Islamic uh, teaching, and especially, you know, they do so without showing any respect, then it's the duty of the followers to really defend your teaching. Um, it mentioned clearly in the uh, Quran. Ah, yeah, uh, 
then among the Hindu studies, the scholars, um, the Indians really pay a lot of attention on their subject. So the Indian scholars themselves pay a lot of attention to what others write about the Indian topics. And when there are some kind of uh, uh, mispresentation uh, of the information, they immediately defend and attack and critique. Um, I forgot one uh, last sentence from the pre previous discussion. Because of that, you know, in Islamic, in the Quran teaching, the chapter second nine talks about defending and attacking the infidels, people who doesn't follow. Um, it created this kind of uh, atmosphere where less people, less non-Islamic scholars study about Islam. Because in the Quran it says it's the responsibility of the followers to defend the teaching. So that's one ex extreme example. And then I talk about in, among the Indians, the Indian <laughs> scholars to really defend, uh, defend their uh, subject well. And so we know many Tibetans now live in India and they have constant almost like a contact with the Indian people. But there are very little exchange in terms of studies. Not many Indians study about Tibetan Buddhism. Not many Tibetans you know, really pay attention on the non-Buddhist traditions in India. It seems like the contact is very limited. Nebayotsamakazayonsare. So these days, some of the graduate students in Tibet, they're writing about uh, Islamic traditions, the um, Indian or Hindu traditions. And they say, oh, among the Islamic traditions, one do not consume pork. Some people say, oh, you can consume pork in certain regions. And then other Tibetans who write about the Hindu religion, they only mention about the Indian, the Hindu followers, not consuming uh, buffalo meat. And that's pretty much what they discuss. Uh, 
so for the uh, Buddhist uh, scholars, um, I just wanted to emphasize again, it's very important to truly try to understand the tradition well, and including you know, the view of that teaching, and uh, um, both the scholars and students really paying attention to the background, the both the you know, religious and cultural background of the subject, the historical background and so on. And paying more attention in this area would really help to improve the research. And then I go back to one sentence uh, um, when Campbell talked about the uh, people writing on Hindu uh, teachings. I mean, more and more people are showing respect to other religion, like uh, we understand the Hindus do not uh, consume buffalo meat, the Muslims do not consume pork, and so people respect to these teachings, right? Likewise, we also need to show respect to the unique traditions of the Buddhism, too. And for the researchers, um, I think uh, it's fun that we analyze, we study uh, the Buddhism. Uh, this is because the Buddha himself mentioned about the monks and scholars. Please examine my teaching like you would examine a piece of gold. Um, I want you to examine it and then practice it. I just do not want kind of a mere respect to the teaching. So Buddha give us this kind of permission to examine, and we are doing the right thing. We're following that teaching, that's sure. Tene so I think uh, when, we research, when we engage in research studies, when we study uh, in general, um, it's very important that we cultivate the right intention. Um, I think the right intention is really to bring benefit to the humanity. Uh, through your research, try to bring some direct benefit to yourself if you can practice what you research and the teaching as a result of that experience to others. And then that will really bring I think, a benefit out of your research. And um, as mentioned by a, a Tibetan teacher, that uh, when you engage in study of dharmas, you really have to study both the um, 
a relative and a definitive meaning of the teaching, and then you experience it by practicing, putting this teaching in practices. And once you really earned the experience, and then if you preach or teach this to others, it wouldn't really create any conflict. It would only bring benefit. And this is, I think, a maybe correct way of approaching how we really study Buddhism. Otherwise, if you only use the lens of uh, critical thinking and try to study the teaching, you constantly would find contradictions among the teaching and the, between the teachings. And that creates more um, problem rather than solution to the humanity. Tanichuga the <laughs> So um, the above discussion was uh, about how you engage in the study of Tibetan Buddhism. And then finally, I wanted to conclude, going back to the original topic, how we can um, generate calm and peace in this kind of conflict world. Uh, my kind of advice is that we really need to engage in more inner um, quality, starting your own kind of a mind, um, try to engage in less, uh, paying less attention to superficial things, but really try to be your own master. The secret to really calm mind is try to control your mind. Uh, but Shakyamuni said, you are your own master. Likewise, if we really engage with this kind of attitude in sharpening our mind, then I think we will gradually improve our mental uh, mind kind of strength and to bring more sustainable, uh, calm, and uh, peaceful mind. And so I wanted to basically conclude here. Um, we have a question and answer time later. So if you have any questions about these, or if you disagree to some of the discussion that I initiated, we can discuss them during the question and answer session. Thank you. Any questions? We have the microphone here. Let's see. Show me, do I? Hello, Mr. Show me. 
Um, so first, I would like to say thank you um, to Campo Sodaje. Um, thank you for taking a um, long, long flight um, from China to here. So we all have a chance to sit here and listen to his speech. So um, thank you. Um, um, so I came from Hong Kong, and I have been studying the Tibetan Buddhism for more than 20 years. Since I was a kid, I'm affected by my mom. So um, I studied the Tibetan Buddhism not for a specific goals, but for a strong will. It's like um, I'm always trying to purchase an approach to my inner, you know, the inner peace. So my question here is I'm wondering, like, um, you know, like, what should I do or how can I do to improve myself or, you know, to achieve the, a better accomplishment or at least, you know, make a bigger improvement? Thank you. And that's my question. <laughs> Can I borrow a pen from one of you? My pen <laughs> runs out of ink. Oh, thank you. It only happens in Harvard. <laughs> ギンドンクシャワカンダカンチナロアセンチンタムチュラチパンバテネネククパンバトムタルテクデワタンデヤンタバズドゴンソナサンギョテネツサンロウグタネヤンギンドンクティシ the um, as a Mahayana uh, practitioners, um, I think uh, what would be useful to really uh, improve our practices and so on is, uh, first of all, really try to think more about benefiting to others. You try to cultivate this kind of uh, intention or motivation that I wanted to maximize my benefit to all other sentient beings and uh, giving them help with their temporary need as well as their long-term need, which is uh, attaining enlightenment. If you have set yourself with this kind of attitude, I think it will be useful. And then, um, one of the advantage about constantly thinking about the happiness of other sentient beings is it will bring you actually much stronger uh, in terms of uh, attitude. Your mind, you know, have a much more uh, resilient um, experience when you care more about others' needs. 
um, we kind of constantly notice that the majority of the suffering has come through this uh, eccentric, self-centered approach. This constant self-cherishing thought brings us many problems. Maybe some Westerners, they would not agree with that. But from our experience, we've realized that, you know, constantly thinking about our own happiness, you know, it brings more you know, suffering. So if you really kind of transform that attitude and constantly focusing on the other's happiness, you know, shifting from your own need to really try to fulfill the other's need, and then you will really experience this kind of uh, good result for your practices. And it also brings more calm to your mind in general. So since we have a limited amount of time, I wanted to really make sure that you ask you know, a simple, straightforward question. I will also add a trade to um, answer in the most kind of uh, uh, straightforward way. This will help more people to uh, ask questions. And please raise your hand if you have a questions. Yeah, my question is, in the beginning you talked about um, technology, modern technology, and how, how it's increasing and it's very important today. And um, yet, thousands and thousands of students are coming to study with you Tibetan Buddhism. Why, why do you think so many students would study Tibetan Buddhism and not want to study technology in the modern world? Lomotonga, <laughs> で、か。あ。で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で、で
Sanık konağın asun ruh ama da dondurdu, takçı yonga yomare. Şerizene sanık yar yeşil diğerine, dene şunubu yar yeşil diğerine nansemna niçin muz yore? Diğer kabına da çödelaftenena, kuransu dekin sorduk yonga about your comment about the modern technology, then still people go to study to, with him. He said, oh yeah, we do study a lot about science and technology um, because we use you know, technology for live broadcasting our teachings. We use Facebook, we use Twitter. So it's not just like we're studying Buddhism. We study and we use modern technology, so don't worry about that. <laughs> <coughs> then the uh, answer to the uh, actual question is, uh, I agree that although we can make so much improvement in terms of a scientific uh, research, scientific uh, result, um, there's no doubt it will bring benefit for the understanding about uh, uh, physical, uh, you know, like arenas and the matters and so on. At the material level, uh, the science can really bring this benefit. Uh, but the um, problems, I think, in our kind of inner problem, if you like, or the problems associated with our mind. Um, the development of science does not directly correspond to this. Uh, uh, people still have a, a stress, even actually bring more technological improvement and uh, progress sometimes bring more inner confusion and problem. And uh, the kind of uh, inner problems are not addressed by the science. Therefore, people seek uh, Dharma or religious teaching to overcome their suffering. This Uh, thanks so much. I am a PhD student and uh, come from China, and uh, I major in liver fibrosis because of this major. Uh, liver fibrosis. Okay, uh, liver. Yeah, yeah. And because of this major, I have to do a lot of uh, animal experiments. Okay. And because I am a Buddhist, um, uh, I also follow the Buddha. Uh, I every time when I do these experiments, I feel very suffering. And uh, also, I feel I'm not that I don't have the uh, critical mind because I I think. Uh, uh, everyone uh, makes a lot of efforts doing th these researches. So uh, I, I just uh, confused that whether I suitable for research. And uh, sometimes I, I, I wondering whether uh, can I just change my major, uh, such as uh, philosophy, because it can benefit all, uh, more people. And, uh, but, but I, I just... Uh, confused, so uh, could you give me some suggestions for my uh, future? Thanks a lot. Dean 
so um, regarding changing your uh, field, um, Rinpoche said that you have to make the decision. Um, um, in Buddhism, if you are really um, killing uh, animals, of course you engage in many uh, sin. But if you are not killing animals, but um, if you sometimes have to engage in uh, activities to do with animals, uh, there are certain, you know, like uh, rituals for doing confession, uh, reciting mantras to like uh, purify your negative deeds. You know, there are some, you know, like uh, um, teachings and practices you can do. But regarding choosing your field, um, that I think it will, you will be the best suited to make that decision. You can rely on logics, reasons, what is best for you. And I may not be the best person to give you this advice because I really do not have the entire information at hand. Just uh, I'm going to ask the question in English. Um, so my question is: so lot, lot, lots of times when um, when I've gone to Buddhist teachings, you know, um, there's this mention of um, developing a sense of peace of mind, right? So my question to Kimbola is: um, Do you think that there is a uni universal sense of a sense of peace of mind, or um, or um, that people, you know, develop their individual as well as maybe a communal sense of a sense of peace of mind? Um, but basically, if if I were to ask, what does a sense of peace of mind mean to Kimbola? Can he um, talk more about that? Okay. <laughs> Kimbogi Sambala, the Semgi Shidej Gomara Tonang, the Mitsangwala, Chikpa Yoredo, Samgudo, or Yamena, Mitsgla Kara, Mitsgla Kara, or so Kimbogi Sambala, Jik Semgi Shidej Tonang, the like Tundado, Jik, like this Manga Jik Sungrochis, Jay. Semgi Shidej Tumungi, a Yundere, Mikirke Yundere. Nasa, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
um, so the question about the peace of mind and how it relates to individuals or the universal experience. Um, as a Buddhist, we believe in like uh, individuals who have a different karmic, um, if you like, uh, consequences. We all have a different karmic background, if you like. And because of that, our need is different. And one cannot provide a general solution that will really fulfill the need of all of the people. So from that point of view, like a more individual, and why we say it's like an individual-based uh, approach, it's because uh, um, you can see that uh, um, the economic development uh, brings happiness to certain people. And for certain people, it brings negative impact. Right, because our need is different. Um, likewise, you know, like uh, say money or any other uh, product, we, we don't have a universal appreciation. Uh, that's because the um, effect of the product, you know, is different to different individuals. So that's uh, my answer. Uh, regarding uh, you know Buddhist approach to uh, uh, peace of mind. Uh, of course, you know, Buddhist teaching wouldn't be suitable to all the people. Um, I agree with that. But a certain you know, type of people, especially among the young, people who are really stressed out by the modern uh, society, um, they found it very useful. Um, I had experience of uh, talking to youngsters uh, in different places. Um, they were really suicidal before because of the stress from their career. A competition in their market and so on. But then having they started Buddhism and continually practicing it, and they later reported me back that their mental kind of strength is much stronger now. And the Buddhist teaching and their practices have a good result on them. But that's only my answer. My question is, um, when you take care of people um, in, in suffering, so how can you help yourself to be not trapped by 
they're suffering, so you overburden yourself that you become stressed and depressed as, as well. And is there any way to help ourselves uh, to avoid that kind of situation? Or maybe not avoid, just to deal with it. Mm um, so I really didn't uh, understand uh, the question in kind of what context you're talking about this. Uh, generally speaking, in the Buddhist tradition, we have this exchange of oneself with others or the taking others' suffering upon oneself. This is a unique uh, instruction in the mind training teaching in which the helper is amazing, compassionate being. And when he or she feels you know, compassion to the person who's going through illness and so on, then they use that kind of opportunity to practice dharma, to really visualize and taking the other's suffering upon oneself. So they are teaching that we do to try to reduce the uh, sufferings uh, on others. And that's one way of dealing with this kind of difficult situation. Then, um, but not that many people, uh, in my understanding, really go into suffering because of somebody else going through suffering. So uh, um, I really didn't understand the context in which you are talking about this. From my experience, I get actually delight, uh, delightness. Uh, I'm happy when I'm able to help others. For example, I give scholarship to others. So when I give scholarship to this, you know, like impoverished student, and they get really excited and happy, and they're really doing well, and I get happiness out of observing that. That's my experience.
I see. More did two other dish a parmatic gifts. Benas, Nanzuba Pama, the game go chabra. Tapama game go chanu, Lugujongita, Neverwa. Tangazo Pama, that would give good. Tadamagid Nanzo Pama, the tape, the Lulu Nazamango, that Lugujongo Chetu, Tangazo Tundu Sin, Magibura, Dungangura. What is what? Dungeti, Mavis, I'll touch your way. That day, Masunanga Pena, Girga, Nanches, a Jura. That dangerous in that day, the more did you, um, Pena Caresercourt, that you, uh, Pena Yamlimba, uh, to Ihuazina, that the more the para Shanchukum or Girgina, the Tendra, Nanchurka Nayonji. That they may embargo to Matsu Nanchugo, Wandashina, the Pamanani in the Pamargan and Pamanjanina, then Kuruag Chunitria, then Ranchu Dugmandion Mari. So in Buddhist uh, practice, when we do the Buddhichitta practices, um, when we see others experiencing suffering from birth, aging, illness, and so on, we use this kind of uh, experience really to um, remind us uh, the sufferings of the samsara. So for the uh, Mahayana practitioners, they would use this kind of experiences really true for your spiritual uh, practices. So that's one example. But for others, really, um, as a Buddhist, what we have to do is to overcome the stress. We have to accept the reality of the samsara. Um, the, you know, uh, worldly, what do you call it? in English, not the samsara. How would you translate the samsara into English? Sickness, yeah, existence. Um, you have to accept that we are all uh, basically um, age. We all experience, you know, aging, illness, death. That's a reality. There's nothing we can do about it. So accepting that, you know, maybe reduce your stress. And then try to really do your best to give care. And when you give care and when you make improvement, that maybe brings some kind of uh, pleasure or delightfulness for doing that. So that may be, I think, an uh, approach. You can ask two questions together. I'll also. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for the great talk. And also, I want to thank you for uh, helping me become a Buddhist like over 10 years ago. I read the book of uh, Wisdom Ocean, The Wave of the Wisdom Ocean. And at that time, I was preparing. And, and that helps me to become a Buddhist. Okay, I, want, I want to thank you for that. And currently, I am a researcher as well as a Buddhist. I am a neuroscientist and biomedical engineer. And also, I'm practicing meditation every day. So I would like to have your advice on two things. One, as a researcher, in the research tradition, people try to avoid you being a judge as well as a player. So how would you like to comment and you know, give us advice as, uh, from the research point of view of avoiding this situation? And two, um, oh, <laughs> let's just start with the 
first question. Uh, hi, I'm a Buddhist, and I just uh, came back from India two weeks ago. So I was doing a, a pilgrimage trip to Bulgaria and Kushinaga. And you know, like uh, everyone knows that Buddha came originally from India, and then, like, he was propagating Dharma in India. But we know that it, Buddhism is almost non-existent in India anymore. And you also mentioned in the talk just now that um, many Tibetans they live in India nowadays, and they have very minimum, of, a very little of interaction with the local Indians. So I'm just curious. So, what is the biggest challenge in propagating Buddhism in India? Why is it? I mean, like, it came from India, but why is it so hard to bring it back? so, um, back to your answer. As a researcher, um, you, know, you can be uh, critical thinking, you can you know, research a subject versus object. You don't have to really make any kind of a role in between by Buddhist teaching. You don't have to rely on compassion or anything. In this kind of a field of science, you can be you know, like as critical as you can because your ultimate goal is to benefit the uh, humanity. 
recently I visited a research lab, especially focusing on neuroscience. And the discovery is amazing because we found out the neurons, like a thousand, thousand of neurons in a single head. And because of this discovery, they also bring you know, cure to certain neural disease and so on. So for that, you don't have to you know, be influenced by your Buddhist teaching because your ultimate goal is benefiting many uh, people. And the answer to um, our other friend is, uh, yes, you're right, the indigenous Indian Buddhist um, teaching is like a, um, really almost like wiped out in India. That's true, almost like non-exist. Then uh, recently the trend is now more and more Indians are studying Tibetan Buddhism. So I think the spread of the Tibetan Buddhism to the Indian community or the society is growing. Um, that's uh, very clear. And also, uh, not only Tibetan Buddhism, I think in the future in India, uh, the Buddhism from the, uh, Sri Lanka, Thailand, from Burma, and some of the Mahayana teaching will gradually maybe go back to its root, to India. So this indigenous form of Indian Buddhism may not you know, resurface again, but new form of Buddhist teaching may go back to and grow in India, and that's my uh, feeling. Yes, okay. Thank you so much, Rinpoche, for answering my question. Um, it was mostly answered already. This is in the topic of uh, what this uh, young lady and someone else referred to about not being too wrapped up in the suffering of someone you're caring for. And I happen to be in a profession that involves touch. It's working with the body. Um, and I find that uh, this is a constant question. And... Um, the, you know, one thinks it's physical, but in fact, in my years of experience, you're really massaging someone's mind more than their body. And so one is sometimes, I, I hate to use this word, but it's the best that comes to mind, almost absorbing the suffering that you're touching if you are not vigilant and very clear in your mind. Um, and even with the best of intentions, sometimes at the end of a bit, you know, the intention's easier at the beginning of the week, and it might be by the end of a very busy week, one can feel quite challenged um, if physically or energetically. You almost have to be an energetic athlete or a mental athlete more than a physical athlete. I think people in other professions, probably nursing and physical therapy and many other physically oriented professions, are having have this experience. It's not. It is the mind, but it's this, like the physical. There's a physical component that you know it might show up physically, um, subconsciously. Some like it's this little tricky to manage. I will say that, and I've had the great good fortune to practice with Lama Sonam and Kempo Chopel and other teachers, and it's been amazing to me the actual physical result from mental practice for lack of a better word, like the quality of my contact with clients. So it's been very interesting. But it's a constant uh, practice for those of us in this profession long term. So if any more advice, uh, or if that clarifies some of the question. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.
I appreciate your comment. Um, the working in a massage, uh, I think, a, a field, is really very useful. It's a form of uh, medical practice. Uh, I actually received some massage on my back when I had a back problem, and it's really helpful. It relieves my suffering. From a Mahayana point of view, um, doctors or any profession which really delivers direct benefit to our client and customer is a form of Dharma practices. And therefore, what you do is uh, bring direct, I think, uh, relief of sufferings on others and if you do this with the proper intention, it's amazing practices. I'm saying this to the doctors, any, a lot of you, these uh, people here are in a kind of very uh, good uh, field, meaning that your practices bring benefit rather than any harm to the human society, including you know, giving massage and so on. So which is really great profession, and I really admire that. Because I, I can maybe you know, sum up my talk on this answer. The Buddhist teaching and the philosophy can be summed up in two words. You, do, you constantly try to help others, bring benefit to others. That's what we have to do. And what we don't do is bring harm to others. So if you wanted to determine whether you're following Buddhist teaching or not, you can use these two um, the criterions. If you're 
if you and your work are helping others, well, that's a, you're doing the right thing. If you're, you know, if you and your work is harming others, we have to stop that and try to change that. So in essence, Dharma practice is basically to bring benefit to others. So we, we have four minutes left, so we'll have the final um, question. Different ways of studying the Dharma. Um, you know, like when we uh, when we're just uh, studying things ourselves based on our own research, we may arrive at an understanding of a philosophical treatise, and you know, even if it's just Mahayana, like Dotsini Tekpa, um, it might have a different understanding of it than the tradition does because we research it ourselves, study many different things, um, and sometimes have some doubts, like. When it comes to practice, is it possible to really gain certainty in the view? Um, like, you know, is it possible to get certainty in the view or really use this understanding to tame afflictive emotions if it's something that I just arrived at through my own research instead of it being something that came from a lineage of interpretation? Your own kind of uh, yeah, yeah. experience through your self-study? Yeah, through my self-study, yeah. Okay, and so the question is? Is, yeah, just, um, uh, is it really important, even at the level of uh, Mahayana, like not Vajrayana, to um, base any of our like understandings of the Dharma on the oral lineage of interpretation? Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> ジムジックバダンボンバカンやなギルギンマテナテネシェルトンガティテテラテナザムズクヨボズタレシタクヨマレテンザンボンンガテレンロリテレタテマヘンバンガツンガペナマンバヤナンジャガモジャカロワヤ
I think uh, um, relying on teacher is really, really important. But first of all, I wanted to say thank you for your question. This is a really good question. Um, when we go to school, uh, middle school, um, college, university, we have to rely on teacher. Um, this is, you know, even a mundane education, one has to rely on the teacher. Um, then if you're studying like a medicine or even you're learning how to drive, you will rely on an instructor. You wouldn't just you know, go to pick up a book and uh, do that from a kind of a manual. Um, therefore, of course, you know, Buddhist teaching is a very unique set of knowledge. It has the um, relative meanings, as I mentioned before. Then there's a definitive meanings. Uh, that's what we're talking about for sutra. For tantra, even much more profound areas of you know, like instruction that has to come through teacher's pithy instruction, meaning the teacher's experiential instruction. And these are not clearly revealed in books. And therefore, to really um, learn properly, um, it's really important for you to rely on an experienced and a proper teacher. Um, because uh, not mentioning about the general information and the knowledge about Buddhist teaching, especially when you talk about practices. The practices really come from the power of the teacher's pithy instruction. Your uh, realization is pretty much you know, closely related to how you really receive the instruction and how you put this into practices. Um, even if you wanted to you know, like, uh, um, study Buddhism for a scholar, scholarly research purpose, uh, you will maybe have a much better result if you rely on a teacher. So there's no question about relying on the teacher and just relying on a kind of a, a books and uh, essays and article. It will be very shallow, uh, I think, a knowledge. Thank you, everyone. I also behalf the organization to thank Fong Kembo and special the Janet Janso is the main person to this organization. She helped for us. And behalf the organization, we all like to thank you so much. And Kembo would give the card for. Please come, come out, ladies. <clears throat> 